0: Hey everyone, I'm Justin Fiedler, and this is Dirt Tracker Conversations. Shane Andrews has been a fixture in the Northeast for decades, announcing for the Super Dirt Car Series and at many of the iconic tracks in the area. You've also no doubt seen him as part of the broadcast team for TV coverage featuring not only the Super Dirt Car Series, but also the World of Outlaws Sprint Cars, Late Models, and more. He joins me this week to talk about his announcing journey, the Northeast dirt racing culture, the current state of racing, and a lot more. Enjoy my conversation with Shane Andrews. Can we still call you the voice of the Super Dirt Car Series? Is that is that yes, allowed?
1: That is allowed. That's okay. a moniker that I will always wear with pride and honor. And I have my Super Dirt Series shirt on Perfect. tonight representing. So, yes, yes. by all means.
0: Well, and I wore the Super Dirt Week hat for you just uh, for this, oh, thank for this you. specific show as well. Is um, that the 40? Is that the extra large hat, Super yeah. Dirt Week 40? I'm not sure which one this is. Uh, 46. This was a Hawkman gift. Okay. Um, you know, I, I obviously, like, I, I, as, as much as I would have liked to have gone to Super Dirt Weeks, especially in the past, there was always a NASCAR race on those weekends, so I could never go. But I have a bunch of Super Dirt Week swag because of those of us that worked in the WG, WRG <laughs> office. Uh, you know, Jeff Hawkman, one, one of the event managers for World Racing Group, would always walk around after Super Dirt Week and hand out Super Dirt Week merch. So I, I've got hats and, you know, I've got a really nice pullover and, and some rain jackets and things like that. So, so plenty of good Super Dirt Weeks. I was trying to think about when me and you actually met and I think it was the first trip that I did to dirt car nationals I think it would probably been 2013 or 2014 Um, and I think at that point you were probably still announcing full-time for the super dirt car series if I remember correctly when did you start announcing for the super dirt car series full-time
1: Oh my goodness, now we're going back a few years. I wanna say it was around 2005, 2004, 2005. Really, you know, um, up here in the Northeast with the Super Dirt Car Series, never really had a full-time traveling announcer. It was uh, pretty much because it was a Central New York, Northeast-based, Northeast-based, uh, the track announcers would handle it. But uh, I approached at the time uh, Tanya Michelle and uh, uh, Chip Burdick and, uh, and Corey Reed and said, hey, what about you know going out on the road and doing this and we put a deal together with wrg and dirt vision and boom and away it went and uh that's really where it started from and uh i've been out on the road with them since then um yeah I, I with my uh job now and my career i had to scale back a little bit but this year i actually uh had planned on uh on the series i planned on doing at least three quarters of the event so it was uh until everything came about with the pandemic. But uh, that's really the backdrop of doing the Super Dirt Series. And it was about that time when we first met down at the Dirt Car Nationals at Volusia.
0: Uh, I'm curious too, like, you know, you announcing with the Super Dirt Dirt Car Series, I feel like you kind of have one of those iconic voices. The fans up there obviously (laughs) know who you are, but when did you kind of get that first start in in announcing? I I think I saw somewhere that you had done some radio work and some things like that before you got into announcing, but what what was that first opportunity to, to actually announce at a racetrack?
1: Uh, The first opportunity came about in 1987 at a little track in Brookfield, New York, at the Madison County Fairgrounds. And the backstory to that is my oldest brother, John, uh, went to a uh, show and bought an antique vintage race car that was driven by Harry Peake, former champion at the Fonda Speedway. It was a 1937 Coupe. And the um, club that was racing at the time was the Mid-State Vintage Stock Car Club, or the Mid-State Antique Stock Car Club. Carl Carpenter was the promoter, and we were running at uh, Brookfield at Madison County Fairgrounds one night. And I had been doing some radio work, and I was big in the FFA in high school, Future Farmers of America, public speaking. And I wanted to give a shot at doing a race. So I went up to Carl, and I said to him, hey, I'd like to try this. And he says, well, I've already got an announcer. If I need somebody, I'll let you know sometime. And a couple hours later, while roaming the pits, he come around, and he says, hey, kid. He says, I just got a call. Uh, from the fair board or whoever, and he says, my announcer is not going to make it tonight. You still want to do it? I jumped on, and the rest is history, and that was back in uh, 1987 at the ripe old age of uh, 17.
0: What was your kind of after that? What was your kind of first like real like solid gig? Like, I mean, did you have a track or a series or something like that that you, you know, you kind of latched on with as, as kind of your, your main deal?
1: Uh, yeah, it was uh, when I was uh, doing the antiques. Um, I was traveling around different, with uh, different tracks and everything and um, ended up uh, getting hired at Brewerton Speedway by a gentleman by the name of Harvey Fink. And worked a summer pro gratis and everything. And Harvey and I, at the time, did not get along. I, I he did, I don't know if he didn't like me. I was a greenhorn, whatever. But at the end of the year, he said, listen, thanks for coming. That's it with are and Ways. And it was done. Um, and then uh, I went off with my tail between my legs and uh, ended up getting a job at a uh, racetrack in Blodgett uh, Mills, New York, just outside of Cortland, New York, called Skyline Raceway. Frank and Audrey Payne hired me. And I uh, cut my teeth there for a few years and then got noticed by... Uh, Uh, Marsha Wetmore and uh, Dick Sweet, and they hooked me up with uh, Jim King, who was a longtime voice at the Fonda Speedway. He was working uh, Utica Rome and uh, Fulton Speedways at the time. They got me hooked up with him. He took me under his wing and uh, taught me a lot, and that's really where it took off. Once I got hooked up with King, things really took off for me.
0: Well, you know, give me an idea of kind of the racing scene in, in, in New York when you, you, you kind of first start cutting your teeth. You know, you know, is it big block modifieds then? Like, you know, obviously you kind of look around now and it's, it's you know, the different modified categories mm-hmm. and pro stocks, but what, was it similar back then?
1: it was similar uh, you had the uh, then it was known as dirt uh drivers independent racetracks under glenn donnelly with the big blocks uh you had rolling wheels you had uh, weedsport at the time which was Cayuga county uh you had burton and fulton which was uh in utica rome which was part of the outlaw circuit they ran the drag rubber the sail panels uh it was you know it was a small block on alcohol it was it was different than your regular big block or dirt car 358 modified at the time uh you had you know uh the those tracks in central New York. Canandaigua was running the big block class. So uh, Fonda Speedway was under the dirt banner at the time. So, you know, as a a fan in central New York where I live right off the thruway, I mean, I can be to some great racetracks in less than 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Uh, and, and it's fantastic. You know, growing up in that, in this area, it was a, it was a race car driver's a dream to race at all these tracks. And it was a fan's dream to be able to get to them. So the culture has kind of changed. It's kind of shifted. Now you see uh, the dirt car sanction has really taken over here in central New York. A lot of tracks have jumped on board with that.
0: I'm curious too, like, you know, when we kind of talk about dirt racing, it seems like there's like certain regions across the country that kind of get talked about more than others. And you talk about central Pennsylvania with sprint cars and, and, you know, Ohio and California and the Midwest and, and of these different places, but you know, the, the Northeast, it seems like dirt racing there is, is, you know, the fans are very passionate and, and, you know, there's a very strong dirt racing culture there, but, I'm curious why we don't seem to talk about that more nationally. Do you you have an idea about that? Like, why don't we, you know, why aren't there more big block modifieds around? Like, you know, it seems like big block modifieds are, you know, kind of confined to a couple of states, but like, why isn't that bigger elsewhere? Why don't we hear more about Northeast racing across the country?
1: Well, it was predominantly a Northeast class. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you've got them in Pennsylvania, you've got them in New Jersey, Delaware, New York. Uh, the provinces of Quebec and uh, um, uh, Ontario in Canada. Uh, you get into Ohio a little bit, but after that, then you start bumping in with the UMP modifieds or you get into the late models and you get into the sprints and, you know, the chassis manufacturers that uh that are predominant in the, uh, in the Northeast or in New Jersey or they're in Pennsylvania or they're in Canada or Western New York. So it it didn't flow out, but, you know, years ago, one of the, one of my favorite shows and I was actually a part of the show for a number of years was this week on dirt. And this week on dirt was a national show. It was a national syndicated magazine show for racing up here in the Northeast. And, you know, we really took things, took, took off with that. The first year we went to Eldora with the big blocks, in 2003, there was a caravan of us, and we stopped. And I can't even remember the town, Justin. But uh, at the time, uh, I was doing uh, a TV show at Weedsport every Sunday night called the Empire Dirt Series. And we were just featuring the 35-lap feature for the Modifieds on um, Empire Sports in New York State. And then it would be re-edited, and it would be put on speed for the following week. So it was going out nationally. And we're on our way out to Eldora, and we stop at a Buffalo Wild Wings of all places, and you know how they have those big Mm 80-inch screen TVs up there. They're showing our race. And we thought that was pretty cool. But the coolest thing about it was when we came back from commercial, there I am larger in life on this TV screen. (laughs) And I can remember Corey Reed to this day standing on the bar stool screaming, that's him, that's him pointing at me. It's the most embarrassed I'd ever been. But the reason I tell that story is that was the reach that we were grabbing and we were getting on that national level. We were just starting to get after that. And uh, we still get the coverage. I mean, the, uh, the Billy Whitaker Cars 200, the by Auto Parts Super Dirt Week is showcased every year and uh, on national TV, whether it's on Mav and Speed Sport um, or not, it, it, it's, it's shown. And we, we're still, we see it. People know who we are. And it's just the continual body of work to
0: get it out there. Speaking of the TV stuff, that was another thing I kind of wanted to ask you about getting, you know, kind of getting those first opportunities to do TV. You know, do do you remember what that first opportunity or first couple of opportunities was and and how important was that to you? You know, as as somebody who was an announcer to kind of get those opportunities to be on TV?
1: Uh, you know, it, it was huge to me. You know, the first uh, TV experience I had was working with uh, This Week on Dirt with Pat Donnelly, Glenn Donnelly, Terry Rumsey, who was uh, receiving an award this year in the Northeast Hall of Fame. Um, you know, working with them behind the scenes, doing the voiceover and editing for the the Weekend Wars or doing a voiceover for a Super Dirt Series race highlight or something along those lines. But my real big break was uh, the first year that I, I got to do uh, hit reporting For the 358 race at Syracuse, uh, working with Eric Thomas and Gary Montgomery up in the booth, and uh, myself and Andy Fusco were pit road reporters, and that was my first chance to do live TV. I had never done live TV until that day, and I'll tell you what, my stomach was flipping uh, how nervous I was, and I can tell you that. I can tell you after that race, I got really drunk just to calm down because I was on a high like no other. I had a blast doing it. (laughs)
0: When you get an opportunity to do something like that, especially in the beginning, this was kind of something I've, I've asked a few different announcers about, but I know when I first started doing the podcast, like I wrote everything down. Like I didn't, like, I wanted to make sure I had a note about everything. Was, was that something that you did similarly? Like, you know, did you write down everything that you, you felt like you wanted to say? And I
1: still do. Yeah. Um, My philosophy has always been I'd rather have too much information and not use it than not enough information and need it. Mm -hmm. So I overprepare if there's anything. Now, sometimes you might throw out too much information and that can always be the case, but it's better to have that information and be able to at least get it in and use it. So I I tell everybody that asks me, what's the best advice you can give me is do your homework and and know the and know the players have the knowledge and it'll come out sometime during the broadcast
0: i, I know like you know a guy like johnny gibson that you know uh, announces for the world of outlaws has you know a, a huge spreadsheet and, and you know blake anderson has something similar well you know what does that look like for you what do those kind of notes look like for you
1: I have the same thing. I have a spreadsheet that I use. I think um, my modified roster alone is over 450 drivers with different tidbits, names, hometowns, uh, different career stats, uh, anything that I can find, anything that I can use, because it, it it makes part of the show. It doesn't matter where I go or what track I go to. There's a fan in the stands or there's a fan listening at home that is rooting for a driver. And it's my job to tell that Individuals, something about that driver they may not know. Now, yes, some of the information is going to be the same show to show, but I always try to find something a little bit different.
0: When you, you know, get started for a new season, or you know, you're going to do a TV show, or you know, you're going to go to Super Dirt Week and announce there. Well, how much prep time do you usually spend to kind of get ready for something like that?
1: I can tell you that uh, every week I do statistics for up here in the Northeast for the modifieds, for the uh, sportsmen, the pro stocks. I spend at least three to four hours a week right now, even in a season where I haven't only been to one race in 2020 since the dirt car Nationals. still putting notes and uh, statistics together because at any time when this, when this finally breaks, I'm going to be ready. And I know other announcers are doing the same thing. So uh, my better half Beverly always tells me, she says, you know, it's like living with a race car driver, except you're not in the garage working on a car. You're sitting in front of a computer doing your notes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As you kind of look back over your career and and all of the races you've called and and you know, all of the things that you've seen, are, are there races that stand out to you as as particularly fun to watch or you know something that you knew was historic at the moment?
1: Yeah, um, I think uh, one of them that jumps right out. I was pit reporter for the uh, World of Outlaws at Eldora one year, and uh, Steve Kinzer. Uh, didn't like the invert and he got really mad and i had to interview him and i thought he was going to put me in a full nelson or body slam me there on the concrete in front of the grandstand uh that's something that jumps out um races that i've called i i have called so many good races over the years that it's really hard to pick one that uh that stands out one of my favorites was uh Uh, My favorite driver of all time, and I know we're not supposed to have favorites, but I'll admit it, and I have before, uh, my favorite race car driver of all time is Jumpin' Jack Johnson out of Dwaynesburg, New York, the the 12A, and any race that I did that uh, he won was always uh, a lot of fun, Uh, whether I was working at Fonda Speedway or Utica Rome, had the chance to call one of his qualifying wins up at the mile for Super Dirt Week, so uh, stuff like that. And always first time winners. I like to see first time winners of a series race. Um, that's always fun. Demetrius Drellov's last year at Albany Saratoga or Matt Williamson a few years ago at uh, Merrittville Speedway. Just a couple that stick out uh, that are always that have always been uh, fun and just, you know, always stick in my mind.
0: With all the TV work you've done, you've obviously done, you know, obviously not just Northeast divisions. You've done World of Outlaws races between sprint cars and late models and all kinds of different things. Is it different calling, you know, different divisions? Is it, you know, is it harder to keep up maybe if the cars are faster or slower? You know, are there challenges to calling one division over another?
1: Yeah, there is. Um, You know, and when the green flag drops, it's a race. What is different about it is the prep work that has to be done because when you go from a little bit about each so you don't nice. sound silly by any means, shape, or form. Uh, that's the challenge. Uh, the tracks, um, that's, uh, you know, the tracks are the tracks. Uh, I've been on from quarter miles up to miles. The most difficult thing about doing a race on a mile track is you got to know what the cars look like a half a mile away in order to uh, talk about them.
0: Absolutely. In, in doing the pit stuff, you know, kind of versus announcing, what, what are the different challenges of, of doing pit reporting versus kind of being in, in, in this, you know, up in the announcer's booth? Not getting in the way. Mm.
1: Uh is the big thing, really. You know, those guys have a job to do. And if they're doing a quick stop or something, you don't want to be in the way. Uh if there is a crash and you wanna get some information, you gotta find the right time to get in and ask about what happened. And that's not only for the driver, but that's also for the crew members. You know, as yourself, as a crew guy, mm-hmm. uh you, you don't want a bunch of people hanging around your pit area getting in the way when you've got to go thrash on a race car and get it ready. Uh, but there's still a story to be tell, told. And the most important thing is uh, having the right using the right judgment of when to get in to get the store.
0: I know a big thing with, with announcers and, and paper reporters and things like that is those relationships that you have with, with drivers, with crew guys. How long did it kind of take you, you know, once you kind of started doing this to, you know, where you really felt comfortable approaching, you know, the big name guys or, you know, the, you know, the crew chiefs and things like that to, to kind of go and get the things you needed?
1: I can I can lean on that from the sprint car uh, from the sprint car side when I was doing the TV. It took a little bit because um, they didn't know me, and you have to build the trust. You don't want to tell somebody something that you think is going to be repeated when it shouldn't be repeated. And there are things that you are told in the pit area, whether you want to tell the story or not, that has to stay confidential. It's off the record, if you will. Mm-hmm. And you have to earn the trust with the crew guys. You have to get the owners, the crew guys, the drivers. You have to earn that trust and it. And it takes a little time, especially if they don't know you. And the more they see you, the more they get exposed to you. And then they see your body of work. That's where the trust starts to come in. Because, these drivers, these crews, they watch the shows. They watch the rebroadcast of it. They're, they're looking at everything as, just like we are, so that takes a little bit of time.
0: Yeah. Kind of switching gears a little bit to, to more of things going on here recently. You know, the Super Dirt Car Series starts out at, at Volution February. Those are non points races, but obviously races nonetheless. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's, you know, traditionally kind of a big break before things really get started up, you know, in the Northeast once things kind of warm up. Um, obviously, with the pandemic this year, there has been like, you know, virtually no racing. Um, there's been one Super Dirt Car Series race and, and kind of looking across the Northeast landscape. I know a few tracks, you know, kind of here and there have run. You know, I know, the Short, Short Track Super Series has got some events in but you know what's it kind of really like up there right now and and you know what are you kind of hearing and, and you know what, what are you kind of expecting things to go like here in, in in the coming days weeks months
1: well a lot of tracks have been running without fans they've been doing the pay-per-view <laughs> broadcast and uh they've had good numbers with that from what i'm hearing uh car counts have been really good at the tracks they have run um, you know the promoters are pleased with that, and it puts the promoters in a tough spot. You know, running an event without fans, it's it's tough, and it puts competitors. You know, I like, I can't imagine being adrenaline, having the adrenaline rush like you do behind the wheel of a race car, and there's nobody to watch you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I can't imagine that, and I can't imagine being an announcer up in the booth just talking to no one but there are people listening out on the broadcast so you still have to do your job just like the race car drivers do uh right now uh some tracks have extended their season into september they're going to run a little bit longer um governor cuomo up here in new york has extended the uh uh the, the not so much a ban but the policy of uh, gatherings of over 50 people until September 19th. Mm-hmm. So that takes away a lot of stuff that was going to be done around Labor Day, some of the bigger shows along with that line, along those lines and everything. So um, it, it's still a waiting game, but again, time's, time's going to run out. sand's going to run out of the hourglass. I mean, September 19th doesn't seem like it's that far away, but boy, it's going to put a big damper on the season. Some tracks have already thrown in the towel and said, we're done. We're not even going to open. and And that's unfortunate.
0: How many races have you actually been to or seen this year? One. Just the single Uh, one?
1: Single one Bridgeport uh, for the Super Dirt Series. Uh, That's been since Volusia. I spent time down in Volusia, but Mm -hmm. uh, just one. And I'll be honest with you um, why I haven't gone to a track to see a race is I do not want to put myself and I don't want to put the track operators in a position of anybody being uncomfortable. I'm not a competitor at the track. I am not affiliated with any race team. So I don't wanna overstep my boundaries with that. If I wanted to go to a track, I'm sure I would be welcomed with open arms. But I don't want to put myself or any of the track operators or drivers or crew members in that position. I don't want anybody to be uncomfortable by any means, way, shape, or form.
0: Yeah. In, you know, kind of talking about, you know, me wearing the Super Dirt Week hat, have there been any rumors or or talk about what's going to happen with Super Dirt Week in the future?
1: Uh, well, yesterday, it's, it's funny you mentioned that, and you mentioned Jeff Hockman earlier. Jeff was just featured on a, a TV station up here in uh, the Syracuse market a night ago. Um, and right now, uh, things there's no decision on Super Dirt Week. Everything is moving forward. I know Jeff was supposed to have meetings with uh, the Oswego County Health Board and officials up there. I do not know what took place in those meetings but right now, I am I'm sitting here today telling you, Justin, I'm ready to go. Um, I am expecting that we're going to be at Oswego for Super Dirt Week, and I plan on being there until I'm told otherwise.
0: Yeah, in in kind of talking about Super Dirt Week, you know the the shift from you know the fairgrounds over to Oswego, and and you know at the time obviously was was a huge deal, and and that right. event had so much history at the fairgrounds, but. What is you know? What do you kind of think is is the view of fans from you know from shifting from from the fairgrounds over to Oswego and and how has the event been? Has it still felt like Super Dirt Week? Has it has it been the same or, or is it noticeably different?
1: You know, it's a little bit different because it's at a different venue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's no different than it, moving the Daytona 500 to Talladega. Mm-hmm. Okay, in that respect, which would never happened. but you, you're everybody has associated. Super Dirt Week with Syracuse up until 2015. And I still fall into the category of saying, oh, Super Dirt Week at Syracuse. Well, wait a minute. It's not a Syracuse anymore. Yeah, It's Oswego. But that's what I grew up on. That's what I was programmed to. Uh, the event is still racing's biggest party. It kicks ass every year, really. Mm-hmm. And the first year we had our bumps. Yes, we did with the track. We know that the crowd came out. The next year and ever since then, since uh, since, uh, 17, 18, 19, uh, the racing has been phenomenal. Oh my gosh, it's an announcer's dream. It's a race fan's dream. The racing has been incredible. And you know, the 5.8 mile is more conducive to me for an event like that than the mile. The mile was unique. I'm not going to take anything about it. The mile was unique. The racing was different because it was a fuel mileage race. You had so much different strategy. But now you put everybody on that five-eighths mile. Guys that you know couldn't afford to run the mile are coming back and running Super Dirt Week. Hell, we had almost a hundred sportsmen last year alone. We had over three hundred competitors in four divisions, uh, and those numbers hadn't been seen in ages at Super Dirt Week. So the move to Oswego has been very positive, in my opinion. And it's still racing's biggest party. It's still an event to me. Yeah. yeah. The only difference is that. I haven't enjoyed the nightlife at Oswego like I did at Syracuse. (laughs) I think that comes with maturity because in my younger days, I'd announce the race, go party all night, and then go announce the race again. I learned I can't do that anymore. So I go and announce (laughs) the race. And I
0: only feed into the background. <laughs> yeah. I, I always loved the, uh, you know, kind of watching from afar with the Super Dirt Week stuff is, you know, the, the, the camper load-ins and, you know, here the last couple of years where they've done the parades, you know, with the race cars through town and all that type of stuff. I it just, it, it's like, it turns into a whole week of events and, and, you know, it's not just the stuff on the track, it's all the other things. And I, and I, it's one of those things that I, you know, I wish I would have gotten an opportunity and I, and I still would love to go up there and, and experience it just because it, it seems like it's just so much damn fun.
1: It is. It is a blast. It's it's a culmination of a year's worth of work for a lot of people around the Northeast and Canada. And that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed about it is I get to see people that I don't normally get to see during the year. We all congregate at Super Dirt Week, and it doesn't matter if they're from Pennsylvania or New Jersey or Delaware or Quebec or Ontario. It's, it's a melting pot of so many great people coming together for one common interest and that's big black modified racing. It's, it's a blast. And you ever get up there, please, by all means, come on up. I'll, up you're getting right on the mic with us.
0: <laughs> yeah. I um, One of the things I often tell people and, and one of the things that always blew me away about going to dirt car nationals and you know, the, the couple of opportunities I got a year to see the big block modified, usually world finals, dirt car nationals is, and when you see those cars up close, just how damn nice they are like those guys yeah. like I mean those cars are spit shined and you know I have been to a lot of races in my career I've seen you know pavement races and, and dirt races and all this type of stuff I don't know that you will find a nicer car out there than the big block modified like when you walk up on Brett Hearn's car and, and it's shining and, and it's you know it's <laughs> got chrome like I, like what yeah. is it about those guys and keeping those cars so damn nice
1: it's pride Uh, especially, you know, the two uh, events or three events that you just mentioned, whether it's the Dirt Car Nationals, the World Finals, or Super Dirt Week. Those are three major races that our division, our main division up here in the Northeast is featured on a national level. And these guys take pride in their equipment. They want to look sharp because they know that they are the focus. For a a little bit of time, the focus of the racing world is on them. Just like when we go to Charlotte for the uh, for the World Finals, those guys know that when we hit the track out there on Saturday night, and that grandstand and that backstretch grandstand is packed to the gills, all eyes are on them for 40 laps, and they appreciate it, and they want they want they want to they want to represent well, and they always do
0: absolutely as you kind of you know sat back this year and and, you know not having the opportunity to go to the racetrack so much I'm sure you've watched some of the other things that have gone on and Mm -hmm. one of the things I kind of wanted to ask you about is is the situation with Kyle Larson obviously from him kind of jumping from car to car um, and all the success he's had uh, you know and you know this weekend kind of getting ready to go do the late model stuff at Port Royal but it seems like there's guys in the northeast that have kind of been doing similar things like that for a long time And, and you kind of look at the Tim McCready's and the Stuart Friesen's and things like that how do you think Larson kind of compares to some of those guys.
1: Oh boy. Kyle Larson is in his own stratosphere. He is a racer's racer. I mean, he can jump in anything and be successful, and he's proven that. Uh, I want to see what he's gonna do this weekend in the late model. If he wins a late model race this weekend, how wild Justin, will that be? Wow. Yeah. I mean, they will they'll just put him on the Mount Rushmore dirt yeah. track racing. I mean, he'll be anointed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um But, you know, you you bring up a a good point, but you look at the history of dirt car, if you will, over the years. Uh, Billy Pouch has won a World of Outlaws sprint car race. He's won a Super Dirt Series race. Tim McCready has won a World of Outlaws late model race. He has won a Super Dirt Series race. Tim Fuller has also done that. Stuart Friesen has won a Big Block race and a World of Outlaws sprint car race. I want to see somebody pull off the trifecta. We,
0: we always talked about it. Yes. I like, would like to see that. Could we get somebody at world finals to run all three divisions? And that how would wild be cool. would that be?
1: You know, I think Tim McCready, if you put him in a solid world of outlaw sprint car and gave him enough races, I think he could win one of those events and be yeah. the first driver to win in the three major series under the world racing group banner. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Kyle Larson, I'm telling you, you put him in a big block modified, I think he could make that big block dance. Oh, yeah. I'd like to see that. I'm, I'm throwing this challenge out right now to somebody. Put Kyle Larson in a big block modified <laughs> for Super Dirt Week or the World Finals. I want to see it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, uh, just a, a couple more questions, but I, I, I sure. want to know like w- with all of the, you know, the divisions you've seen and, and you know, obviously you're from the Northeast, so you're probably going to be kind of more biased that way, but do you have a favorite division? Do you have a favorite series as, as you kind of sit back and get a chance to watch all of this stuff?
1: I always grew up watching the modifieds, uh, but I was always a, a sprint car fan too. I always loved the sprint cars, whether it was the 360s or the 410s, always enjoyed uh, watching them, uh, whether the outlaws were coming to town or we'd make a trip to Pennsylvania down to Williams Grove to see them. Uh, always a big fan of the sprint cars. Uh, the late models, when I was a kid, late model racing in the Northeast was actually uh, the predominant division before the big block modifieds took over. Um, you know, and one of my favorite drivers of all time, Tommy Williams, was the first guy in the Northeast, or actually the first guy in New York State to have an actual Rayburn chassis. Um, and this was back in 1979, 1980, and he could have went out on tour with the Have a Tampa series and uh, had, did some damage. But he retired at a, at a young age after winning multiple championships up here in central New York. Um, so to answer the question, modifieds and sprint cars have always been my favorite. But I can tell you from being a track announcer at different tracks, there's always one division that I always just absolutely enjoyed and couldn't wait to see at that particular track. At Brewerton, it was the, the Mod Lights or the Dwarf cars. Uh, when I worked at Fonda Speedway, it was the, the Pro Stocks. They always put on a phenomenal show there. At Utica Rome, it was the Sportsman division uh, that always put on the Race of the Night. You know, those are just some of the divisions you just couldn't wait to see because you knew that they were just going to put on a fantastic show.
0: Yeah. Um, kind of looking at the, the the TV stuff, I want to kind of jump back to that. I, I was going to ask you about this before, but I forgot. In, in, in terms of like doing Open Red, like, we, you know, we always sat in that same studio that I'm sure you sat in plenty of times uh, doing VO work and, and, and doing that kind of thing. How do you bring the energy on a race that you know that you already know the results of, you know, you've already seen a hundred times, probably as you prepared to to do the voiceover, but how challenging is it to do announcing for a race when you already know the results?
1: It's not difficult at all for me. It's an adrenaline rush. It's such a different experience, you know, calling the race live um, obviously is so much different than being in the booth, but if it's a good race, the energy's there, The 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 race makes the energy. It brings the energy for you. It draws it out of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it doesn't matter what division it is. If it's a good race, I'm going to be pumped up and psyched, whether I've seen it 100 times or 500 times. That's just the way that I am. And and I'm a race fan, first and foremost. Uh, Aside from being an announcer, I'm a race fan. And I, I I get to talk about something that I love and have one of the best seats in the house doing it.
0: Um, I'll let you go on this. What is something you haven't gotten to see yet, an event you haven't gotten to go to yet, a track you haven't gotten to see yet? What's kind of on that bucket list for Shane Andrews uh, in dirt racing that you haven't gotten to do yet?
1: I have not been to the Knoxville Nationals. Really? Would, really. Wow. Really. That's I've impressive. been to Knoxville. Yep, I've been to Knoxville. I did a couple of uh, uh, pit reporting stints out there uh, for the Outlaws. Uh, been to Knoxville, but not to the Nationals. So that's on the bucket list. And I uh, always wanted to get to Belleville. Always mm. wanted to get to Belleville to see the uh, the midgets out there. Yeah, um, absolutely. And um, and of course, I'd I'd be a fool if I didn't tell you I want to get to the Chili Bowl too. <laughs> you ever been to the Chili Bowl? <laughs> Never been to the Chili Bowl. See, oh, I I actually have a full time job, which a lot of people don't know. I actually yeah. have a full time job. I work for a uh, fuel company. Mm-hmm. So in the winter, uh, that is our busy season, and it's kind of tough to get away. Um, It's tough to get away for one week in Florida to go to the Dirt Car Nationals it would be tough to say, hey, I need to go to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma for the Chili Bowl for a, for a, for fourteen days or so. So I gotta yeah. I gotta kind of pick my battles, to keep the uh, home fires burning
0: correctly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Shane, I certainly appreciate you taking some time, and uh, hopefully things get a little bit better up there in the Northeast, and you guys can get some more races in because uh, we certainly miss it. It's it's one of the things that I, I you know in kind of doing my daily show that I do, I, I've kind of missed not being able to talk about some of that stuff because there's just so much good racing up there, and and obviously we hope it uh, it comes back soon
1: well when we get fired up we'll give you plenty of content to th- uh, talk about and Justin thank you very much for having me on absolutely it's a pleasure to catch up with you great to see you yep. uh, congratulations with the new endeavor and yep. everything that you're doing you are such a talent and uh, I always enjoyed working with you and crossing paths with you at World Racing Group and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be on with you today
0: I really appreciate Shane taking some time out of his busy schedule to chat with me. He's definitely at the top of the list of my favorite people in dirt racing. He's incredibly passionate about what he does, and he's one of the absolute nicest guys you will meet. Hopefully, we'll get to see him back on the mic soon. You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit dirttracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok.